Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. For those who uh, just joined us, our visitors and our friends and guests uh, here uh, today, physically or joining us uh, virtually, we are in the middle of a series based on the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel is told very much as a fast-moving uh, and action-packed narrative. He uses the word immediately over 40 times. He always likes to begin his sentence with immediately, this happens, immediately, that, that happens. But Mark deviates from this format on two occasions. The first instance is in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34, our passage this morning, where we have a collection of Jesus' parables. The second instance is in Mark 13, which is a discourse about the end time. One of the things pastors are told, like myself, is if, they want, if we want to be effective communicators, we need to tell more stories in our talks because people like stories and people remember stories. Stories help the audience understand and remember the point you're making. So the rationale goes. Uh, I do not disagree with that tip at all. But the reason given for it, though, and I'm, I'm not so sure about you see, advocates of storytelling say that Jesus used stories or parables to explain complicated truths so people, including children, can understand his teaching. All right? So, the, so that, that's what they say. This morning, though, we're going to find out from Jesus himself that he taught parables. He taught him parables for the opposite effect. He taught parables so that people would not understand, or at least that is what he appears to be saying. So why parables then is the question. Why parables then? That is our subject this morning. But before we get to that, a word about parables. It could be argued that Jesus' preferred, uh, pre Jesus preferred method of teaching is parables. There are at least three to four dozen of them mostly in Matthew, Mark, and, uh, and Luke, uh, none in John. Some estimates run as high as 60. Even so, Jesus did not invent the parable genre. In the Jewish culture of biblical times, things were explained in word pictures. What Jesus did, though, was he made brilliant use of parables. According to one scholar, the quantity and excellence of Jesus' parables are without parallel in the ancient world. Old Testament used parables as part of the MO, and the most memorable one is the one that Nathan uh, told to King David, remember? as a way of confronting King David about his sin of adultery and his sin of murder. In Greece and Rome, parables were used by politicians and philosophers alike, such as Aristotle. Parable, in our usage, refers to short stories with multiple levels of meaning and typically with a moral lesson at the end. But in the Hebrew and in the Greek, a parable is as Hulgren writes, is a figure of speech in which a comparison is made between God's kingdom, actions, or expectations 
alongside something in this world real or imagined for the purpose of clarification. Let me repeat that. A parable is a figure of speech in which a comparison is made between God's kingdom actions and expectations alongside something in this world real or imagined for the purpose of clarification. It can include, therefore, stories, uh, proverbs, riddles, and much more. Essentially, there are two types of parables, similitudes and narrative. A similitude is a similarity or comparison made without stories but taken from everyday life. As such, a similitude is usually in the present tense. In Luke's gospel, similitudes begin with, which of you? In Matthew and Mark's gospels, they often begin with, the kingdom of God is like, or it is as if such and such and such and such a thing. Narrative parables, however, are stories told to make a point. So they're often longer and more detailed than a similitude. Parables are fictitious, but they remain true to life and have a once upon a time quality about them. The particularities of uh, the stories are usually set in the past. They typically start like in the parable of the prodigal God. There was a man who had, once upon a time, there was a man who had two sons and yada, yada, yada. Or the one we're going to look at briefly this morning, a sower went out to sow, yada, yada, yada. So let's go to our text, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and set, set it out on the lake while all the peoples were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and multiplied. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Mark make, makes mention again of Jesus' magnetic attraction on the crowds. The crowd becomes so large that the boat that was for his emergency getaway is now used as a floating pulpit. The parable recorded also in Matthew 13 and Luke 8 begins and ends with the summons, listen and hear. And this underscores the urgency and the importance of his parable. Now bear in mind, this parable comes after challenges from religious leaders from Jerusalem whom Jesus described as having stubborn hearts. For full explanation of the parable, you can read it for yourselves from verses 13 to 20. 
Jesus explains it, and it is very straightforward. But I just want to make some general remarks about this parable. On its own, the parable has no meaning, especially for us. But the context makes all the difference in the world. In the Old Testament, sowing is the metaphor for God's work in renewing Israel. Mark has framed Jesus' mission as one who goes out to sow God's word of truth. Remember in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. The astounding, therefore, the astounding implication of this is that Jesus is God's appointment to renew Israel, something that only a handful will see. The renewal of hearts and minds is subject to how one responds to his teaching. So you have Jesus the sower, sowing seeds of God's truth with total abandon, casting some on a pathway, rocks, thorns, and on good soil. The different seeds represents a different condition, uh, various heart conditions. Seeds sowed in the pathway are devoured by birds, representing the evil one. And the pathway represents a heart, a person with a hard heart. Seeds sprouting in rock are withered by the sun, representing persecution, because the heart is shallow. Seeds sprouting among thorns are choked out. Because the heart, that particular heart, is full of the cares of the world. And seeds in good soil are those who uh, are, are sowed in hearts that are, that are soft, that are willing to hear, understand, and put it into practice. We see here that the majesty and splendor of God's kingdom, which is what many of Jesus' parables are, are about, will not explode onto the world stage in a blaze of glory. It will be more like a farmer sowing seed, much of which will go to waste because the soil isn't fit for it. Jesus as the sower sows liberally in the hope of a harvest, even in unfruitful and unreceptive grounds. Just as God sends rain on the just and the unjust, Jesus will sow his seed on bad soil and good soil. But God's word will never fail despite apparent failures. The seed will fall on fertile soils and we can be assured of a harvest. Likewise, we must do the same, so liberally, so generously, but then let God do his work. We're not responsible to convert people. That is God's responsibility. But it is our responsibility to sow God's word of truth generously, liberally. They will be pushed back, of course, from Satan. They will be pushed back from people themselves who love darkness rather than light. Some will reject the truth no matter how it is presented. They will see and see nothing. They will hear and understand nothing. But those who respond to God's word Fruitfulness will come from their lives, which is an essential mark of those who are in the kingdom of God. Now, to our key text, in which Jesus will explain in private to his disciples and others why he uses parables in his teaching, and his reason has baffled readers for generations. Verse 10, when he was alone, 
The twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. It would seem, would it not, that Jesus is saying that he speaks in parables, not because people like stories or so that he will be more easily understood. The purpose is actually quite the opposite. It is so that the outsiders, and we will come to that later, who are the outsiders? But it is so that the outsiders will not see and understand lest they repent. Jesus seems to be saying that he excludes people by deliberately making his teachings difficult to understand. All right? That's what it reads. That's how it reads. He uses parables deliberately to conceal truths. I don't know about you, but it is troubling, isn't it? (laughs) I thought Jesus wants to sow and let everybody know as many as possible, and yet... He seems to be contradicting himself. He's saying, I'm I'm deliberately using parables so that people don't get it. That's what it seems he's saying. So how do we make sense of this? Firstly, if I got you, is that a bait? (laughs) Okay, let's proceed. Firstly, let's begin with the insiders. Who are they? Well, Mark identifies them, first of all, as the 12, the 12 apostles. That's easy enough. But he also mentions those the others around him. Well, who are they? The others around him are those in fellowship with Jesus. Even though they're not part of the original 12, they're in fellowship with Jesus, and they do the will of God. The same ones Jesus had referred to earlier in Mark chapter 3, verse 34. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. They are the honest, earnest, honest and earnest followers of Jesus. Notice they sought Jesus out. Yeah? In highlighted there. They sought Jesus out for an explanation of, par- of the parable. They went to Jesus and said, Jesus, we don't get what you just said. Can you explain it to us? And Jesus gladly obliges by giving them a private tutoring lesson. These are the ones whom the secret or the mystery of the kingdom has been given, Jesus said. Now, the word secret slash mystery does not refer to something unknowable or something that's only knowable by a handful of people, but rather it refers to knowledge that cannot be attained by intelligence or merit, but that which can only be made known by God. It has to be revealed to them by God. It's an act of God. The kingdom of God is a secret, not because nothing is said about it, but the real significance of the kingdom, which uh, has come in the person and the words and the works of Jesus, is revealed in a way, in a veiled and cryptic way that requires divine revelation. So in other words, the parables are meant, are designed to conceal and yet at the same time reveal God's truth. It is cryptic. And therefore, it requires the Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds so that we see what his parables are about. 
This is what Jesus meant, that the insiders have been given the secret of the kingdom. Not that they know everything, because more often than, than not, like us, they missed what Jesus was saying and doing. However, even so, what they need to know must be and will be revealed to them by God. As Jesus said elsewhere, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. The insiders will eventually be able to see what others cannot see, even if they're confused to begin with. The understanding comes by grace, and God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. It is freely available, God's grace, but those who access the grace of God are those who are humble and contrite in heart. Put that in the back of your mind. A clear example of this is Jesus' death. The disciples didn't see it at first, but eventually they did see and understand three years later. So there's hope for all of us. <laughs> eventually, we will get things that we don't get at first if we keep seeking and if we remain humble of heart. Who are the outsiders? To understand who they are, we must realize that the quote, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven, comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. After Isaiah accepts the commission uh, from God to be his messenger, He's charged with the following words by God. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Just with my accent, by the way, I'm confused as to how to pronounce the word heart. Sometimes I go heart sometimes i go hot i use them interchangeably i don't know if i'm american i'm not that i was ever an american but anyways hot heart it's the same thing it's this thing yeah <laughs> oh dear god tells isaiah from the very outset that the message of impending judgment for many and restoration for remnant that he's commissioned to preach to his kinsmen, the rebellious, stiff-necked nation of Israel will be received by some, but will be largely resisted by many. People will not give a staff what Isaiah is saying. His preaching will not yield the results he may desire. In fact, quite the opposite will occur, God forewarns him. Hard hearts, hard hearts will even be more hardened dull and unresponsive, not less, until it is too late. So Jesus, by alluding to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, is saying that his parables will have the same outcome, okay? Particularly with the religious leaders, particularly with the Pharisees. Parables are like a, two, like a double-edged sword that reveal the mystery of the kingdom of God to those who have ears to hear. But for others who don't, they create blindness. Jesus' parables will soften the hearts of some, while at the same time hardening further the hearts of others, just like the same sun that melts the wax, hardens the clay. 
Does that make sense? The parables of Jesus are like the sun. They will melt the hearts of wax, but for those with hearts of clay, it will be hardened up. In other words, outsiders will ever be seeing, but never perceiving, hearing, but never understanding, not because they have a low IQ or that Jesus is practicing favoritism by favoring some at the expense of others. He's, he's not being arbitrary here. The 12 and those gathered around Jesus are no different in needing special insight from Jesus to understand parables and everything he teaches. But they are different from the outsiders in that they care enough to ask Jesus what the parable means after it ends. The outsiders, of course, are welcome to ask, but they don't because they're indifferent, because they're casual, because they're not the slightest bit interested in the parables. Do you get that? The outsiders were welcome to us, but they chose not to ask because they couldn't give us stuff what he had to say. They only cared about the miracles. They only cared about performance. They only cared about watching Jesus doing his magic tricks. But aside from them, they, they, didn't, they didn't have any interest in what he had to say. The insiders have open ears and hearts. The outsiders have closed ears and hearts. That's the decisive and distinctive difference between the two groups. It's the hardness of their hearts manifested in their indifference. That is the reason why, that, the, that is the reason behind their seeing but never perceiving, hearing but never understanding. Brothers and sisters, understanding God's truth is not an IQ but a heart issue. You don't have to be intelligent to understand what God is saying. It's got nothing to do with intelligence. It's got nothing to do with the educational background. It's got everything to do with your heart. And that is why you can have very knowledgeable scholars with PhDs who do not believe in God, like Bart Ehrman, a well-known New Testament scholar who considers himself, this is a New Testament scholar who declares himself as an agnostic atheist. Try and work that out, those, those terms I don't even understand. How can you be an agnostic and be an, uh, he just, he wants, he's confused. But he used to be a Christian until he couldn't understand some passages, couldn't reconcile some passages, so he renounced his faith. But he is a New Testament scholar. That is, that is what he does for a living. He lectures on the New Testament, but not as a believer, but as a cynic. How do you work that out? So what does this all mean? It means this. If you have questions this morning about the many passages in the Bible that you don't understand, Jesus is waiting for you to come to him in humility and trust and say to him, Jesus I don't get what you're saying. I don't understand this passage. I'm confused. What is Leviticus about? <laughs> what is it doing there in the Old Testament? What is that? What's that story about this guy who mocked Elisha and Elisha called on the bears and the bears took the kid out, took these youth out? What's, what's that story doing there? All right? 
But if you don't get it, there's still that trust. Jesus, I don't understand it, but I'm not going to renounce you just because I can't reconcile the story with, with where I'm at. I'm still going to trust you. And not do a thing like Bart Ehrman, who thought better of himself, who said, well, I don't understand this, so the Bible must be, I will submit the Bible to me. I will not submit myself to the authority of the Bible. Okay? So having a humble heart is coming to God with questions. But be, but be prepared at the same time that if God doesn't answer the question, we remain humble. I don't get this. I don't understand it. I'm waiting for your explanation. But if that explanation doesn't come, I'm still with you all the way. I still love you with all of my heart. I believe Jesus responds to such humility is one of the light. I believe Jesus says, I'm so glad you asked. Let's talk some more about this. Let's reason this together. Let's work this through. And this approach is not limited to parables, but to God himself, to his character and ways and lives and justices and sufferings. Jesus, I don't get what you're saying and doing in the world. I don't understand. God, I'm angry. I'm hurting at what's happening in Myanmar. I'm confused by what's happening in, in, in many places of the world where there's endless violence. I don't get how Christians can be like this, quoting the scripture, the harm, uh, the, the, the royal commission and the institutional response to sexual abuse that has really shocked me and, 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 and uh, caused me to doubt what is happening there, God. And we have many questions like this, and it's okay. Jesus doesn't mind those questions. Jesus is inviting us to come to him with these questions. He loves engaging those who come to him, seeking to deepen a relationship with him and wanting to learn more so that they can follow him better. Unless, of course, you're confident, so confident that you've got God, his word, his ways, his character, and life all worked out, then you don't have any questions for him. And if you're such a person, please don't tell anyone because no one's going to take you seriously. Besides, you need to have your pride meter checked out as well. If you're after solutions and after quick fixes, you're going to find Jesus very frustrating. <laughs> Let me tell you now. If you're after solutions, if you're after quick fixes, if you're after black and white answers, you're going to find him very, very frustrating. But if you're after him, him, if you're after his wisdom, if you're seeking to deepen your friendship with him, then you can look forward to, to many private and intimate sessions with him. Don't be indifferent. Don't be casual like the outsiders. Pursue Jesus earnestly. Pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. By the way, the insiders and outsiders for Mark were not permanent designations. Insiders can become outsiders, like Judas. Judas. Judas, like the 12, struggled to grasp the secret of the kingdom, struggled to, to, to grasp the, the image, the picture of, of the Messiah that Jesus portrayed as a suffering servant, not a triumphant deliverer. 
You see, he got really disillusioned with that because in his head he was so stuck in the image that the Messiah will come and free the nation of Israel from the rule of Rome. And Jesus crushes that dream and that hope and he says, I'm not going to be the Messiah like that. I'm going to be the Messiah by means of humiliation, by means of suffering, by means of going to the cross and laying my life down. He got so upset by that, so disillusioned by that. One day, he threw his head up in the air and said, I don't get Jesus. All that image of the Messiah, all this thing about loving your enemies, all this thing about forgiving those who've hurt you and serve if you want to be great, deny yourself, take up your cross. You can't love money and God at the same time. And sign up for this. I'm out of here. And over time, he allowed his confusion to morph into unbelief indifference into indifference and finally betrayal but mark also tells us of outsiders becoming insiders such as the demon demon that we're going to look at next week the woman who was subject to bleeding problems for 12 years the Syrophoenician woman in mark 7 and possibly a scribe in mark chapter 12 and a gentile centurion at the crucifixion in mark 15 who said truly this must be the son of god an outsider but he became an insider. As Jesus said, anyone who has ears, let him hear. If he does not remain indifferent, casual, stubborn, but turns to Jesus in humility and faith with his questions, confusion, and struggles, that person can be assured that he will receive understanding and wisdom in greater measure. So do you understand why now Jesus deliberately speaks in parables? He wants to see what your response will be. Will you go, I don't understand this. Oh, yeah, this too difficult. I've got better things to do. I've got better things to do. I'll work on my car. I've got better important things to do. So are you going to go, God, I don't understand this, but I want to understand this. Speak to me. Show me how to find the answers. I struggle with, with, with this situation and that situation. I'm not satisfied. I seek you. I want your wisdom. I want your perspective. I want your understanding. And I'll keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. If I don't get it, I'm not going to blow up. I'm not going to go into a meltdown. Put it in the too difficult basket for now, and we will come back to that in your own time, yeah? So, but it's there. I've got the question there. You haven't spoken to me yet, but I'm still going to follow you. I'm still going to do what I need to do because the information that I need to live life, I have enough. I don't necessarily need this to be resolved before I continue following you. I will still follow you. So, that's the reason why I speak in parables. So, for our application... Perhaps you've already done the application because of COVID. The newsletter is sent out on a Saturday, which means you get to read the application, uh, which is normally sent out on a Sunday. So has anyone done any of the application yet? No? Okay. It's there in your newsletter. It's there in the news bulletin. The first application is read the article, how to read a parable. Only take two minutes. The second article, how should we read Jesus' parables? The first one is more practical. The second one gives you a survey of what parables are about. That should take five minutes. 
And then the third application is after having read the first two articles, so that should equip you a little bit more and further, and then you can prayerfully read the rest of Jesus' parables in Mark chapter 4. And there's three left in Mark chapter 4 after the parable of the sower and the seed. Okay? So that should take you no more than 30 minutes. Do you have 30 minutes to spare today or tomorrow or Tuesday? I'm sure you do. Okay. Two minutes, the first article. Five minutes, the second article. And then the rest of the parables, you can actually read it in three, under three minutes. But it's the processing is the understanding might take a little bit longer. Okay. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for deliberately speaking to us in a cryptic way, actually. It is by design. It is by intent. You want to see our response. You want to see what we're going to be like. And I think that's also why our prayers are not always answered. I think that also explains why we don't always have things our way. Because you wait to see what our response will be like. Do we sulk? Do we throw ourselves on the floor, kick and squirm? God, I want a bread. Where is my bread? I want it now. I want chocolate. I want it now. And you don't give us what we ask deliberately. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving us enough to say no to us. And please keep saying no to us because we need to hear that. Be patient with us, Lord. Be merciful with us, Lord. We are hard of hearing, but we're so grateful that you Pursue us, that you persevere with us. Thank you, Jesus. Keep working with us, we pray. Keep opening the pages of your word to us. We seek wisdom. We seek you above all, your company, your presence. I pray for a great week. I pray that as we apply the applications, as we implement the applications, that you will speak to us. Reveal your word to us. And Lord, I pray you'll give us opportunities to share your word with those in our front lines this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.